Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. It's an undisputed fact that Louisiana grows some of the best restaurant talent in the nation. On this week's Louisiana Eats, we're sitting down with the best and the brightest of Louisiana's legacy restaurant families. We begin with the next generation of Dookie Chase. Since Leah's death in 2019, the crew she always referred to as the Grands have stepped up to nurture and grow their family's food legacy. The whole nation is about to meet the Grands when their new PBS series, The Dookie Chase Kitchen, Leah's Legacy, debuts in the spring of 2023. And if you live in New Orleans, you probably know a Brennan of your own. The restaurant dynasty that began with patriarch Owen Brennan in 1943 has grown to include a fourth generation. We'll sit down with the whole Brennan clan for a glimpse of what New Orleans' culinary future looks like. And I promise you, from where I sit, it looks pretty bright. We're looking back and forging forward on this week's Louisiana Eats. The Chase family legacy lives on today at Leah's famous restaurant, Dookie Chase. That legacy lies in the hands of her children, grandchildren, who Leah always affectionately referred to as the grands, but also with some of the great-grands that have recently joined the family business. The first to sit down with us was Tracy Heidel Griffin. You may have met Tracy at the front door of Dookie Chase or in the context of her work with the Edgar and Leah Chase Family Foundation. Tracy, your mother was my friend Leah's cooking daughter. That's always how she described her to me. Emily, how old were you when you all lost your mama? I was 17. But even at the age of 17, I had the opportunity to watch, of course, my grandmother and my mother, you know, do their thing. Um, the joy that they had working together um, in the kitchen, working and planning, you know, menus and greeting the guests and the joy of listening to them talk about the upcoming catering events and how they wanted to set up and decorate. So all the particular things they liked and uh, look forward to doing for each of their guests was something I could experience in watching them. Did you ever think that you were going to end up here working at the restaurant? No, because if you know me, you know I was um, I was special, <laughs> a little stubborn, <laughs> you know, a little you you know as teenagers would be, right? 
So, you know, from the lens of a 17-year-old, of course, you're like, oh, this is beautiful to witness a mother-daughter relationship, a a um, mother-father relationship, because mother, of course, was working with uh, both of her parents and even her grandmother. My great-grandmother, Emily Chase, um, was, you know, still here and working. So that was just an interesting dynamic, a loving family business dynamic to witness. But at 17, you don't really get to take it all in and envision and envision yourself um, in that. You didn't set out to originally work in the restaurant. How did you end up being here? Well, I didn't set out, but, you know, everybody's life is colorful with stories and um, unique. Um, my profession is that of a nurse in a public health um, administrator. And so I did those things in Texas and Alabama for quite some time. And my husband um, had the opportunity to return to New Orleans uh, to serve in a a leadership role in health administration and reestablishing health care in the city post-Katrina. And so that opportunity brought us home. I was still doing things in the area health wise, public health wise. But then, of course, you see that there's a need um, and not necessarily a need because you do know my grandmother and my grandfather and you know how they were. (laughs) Um, So a need wasn't there, but there was an opportunity to support. And um, I just, you know, started making myself available to support them, to um, making sure the things they still wanted to happen at the restaurant happened. For instance, you know, um, grandmother loved welcoming all of her guests, right? She, you know, there was joys in the pot, but there was the reward of greeting and seeing everyone's smiling face as they came in. And it became to a point where she couldn't easily walk around the dining room as she had loved and hoped and, and wished to do for. And she couldn't keep a watchful eye, right? And so I became one of those family members, because certainly it's I'm not unique in this role of being in here in the business, but I became one of those family members that would help give her a watchful eye of the front of the house, give her feedback on the guests that were dining so she can say, well, you tell them to come see me in the kitchen. You know, that <laughs> report would happen. So, you know, my role was really to focus on making sure people were receiving the welcome, the service, and the experience that she desired them to have. So I just started lending myself um, to more support in the front of the house. Because when I was in high school and college, I was the hostess with the mostest. (laughs) As my grandfather would tease and say, oh, here comes the hostess with the mostest. I think that was for me to rise to the occasion. But, you know, every day there's always, there's something um, in here that gives us poise or a reason to um, reflect in appreciation, you know, for what, what everything they did. Every day there's something. That was Tracy Heidel Griffin of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Next, we meet the freshest face at Dookie Chase, 
22-year-old sous chef, Zoe Chase. I began my conversation with Zoe by asking about her earliest memories of her great-grandmother and the family's world-renowned establishment. I think my earliest memories is being maybe, I want to say, five years old, and we would always come in a restaurant, and we would always run up and down, and we would always go to the bar because they had the glass bottle root beers, and we <laughs> loved those root beers. So we would open up those root beers. We would steal a bunch of the machino cherries, and Grandma would taste it. Stop running in the kitchen. Stop running in the kitchen. And whenever she wasn't looking, we'd snag a piece of chicken, and, you know, it was always so fun growing up in a restaurant because there was always good food to eat. Um, and, you know, I didn't really understand the huge legacy until I got older. You know, being younger, I just thought, oh, my family owns a restaurant and it's good food and that's really, really much it. But growing up and you know, learning about Grandmother Chase and all the amazing things that she did. I'm like, wow, you know, it's such a restaurant filled of a bunch of history. And I'm just so grateful to learn about it and to be here every day and just soak up so much knowledge that I can. Zoe, when did you get the call to the stove? When did you decide that food was going to be your life? Right. So right out of a year at college, I was at University of Lafayette, and I was so homesick, so I came back home, and I attended the University of New Orleans. And I was doing that, and I'm just like, well, I don't know if this is for me. You know, I was going to do education, and I always loved to cook. Growing up, we would cook at home. My mom wasn't a big cook at all, so me and my sister really had to learn, okay, if we want a home-cooked meal, We'll cook it and stuff. And um, I decided that I didn't want to attend college anymore. So I started working at my uncle's restaurant in the airport. And it was funny, actually, I was going to be a hostess. And I did hostessing for one day, and I was like, oh, this is too much. I can't do it. I was like, just put me in the kitchen. So I started working in the kitchen, and we were pumping out gallons of gumbo, gallons of jambalaya, and I'm like, wow, like, I could actually do this. And everybody was trying to, like, oh, it's so delicious. And I was like, well, I always love to cook, and my family has this great restaurant. I'm like, maybe this is where I need to be. So I was working at the airport, and then in 2019, coming up on 2020, I started working every Friday nights at the restaurant because I wanted to see what they were doing over here as well. So then COVID hit, and the airport completely shut down, and I think maybe I was off for a month, and I got a call from my Aunt Tracy, and she said, we're going to do takeout, and we're going to open the restaurant back up. Would you like to come? I said, of course. So for, what was that, maybe four months, we did strictly takeout, and we were also doing family meals for you know people who were struggling during COVID, and it was really such a great time. You know, I learned a bunch of new recipes. I got to cook, you know, all the favorite recipes Grandmother Chase cooked. And I think it really, COVID really happened for a reason to place me at the restaurant full time. Because the airport was closed, I think, for a, a whole year. So I couldn't go back to the airport. And then when the airport reopened, I think maybe I went for maybe two weeks, but it wasn't the same anymore. And I think 
I needed to be at the restaurant more. And, you know, we were opening up dining, so there was new things to add on the menu and create. So I was so blessed to be at the restaurant and continue to learn new things. And then in 2021, I applied to go to Noki and I got in and I did that for six months and then I graduated culinary school. Oh my, so you did get that culinary school. What a wonderful experience that was at the New Orleans Culinary and Hospitality Institute. It was amazing. I learned so much. Um, Chef Rebecca, who was my teacher, an amazing teacher. And it was just such a great opportunity because I had my knowledge of authentic Creole food, but I also got to learn, you know, Asian food, different cultures. I got to learn all these different flavors, and then I could bring it back to the restaurant and try new dishes. So it was a great experience. So you talked about Mm -hmm. all those great different new cuisines Mm -hmm. that you learned at Noki. Mm -hmm. Are you by any chance putting your stamp on the food here? Yes, well, I actually, um, I had a special dinner, my coming out dinner, and I was so excited because I got to create a five course meal. The first course was a seafood stew, and then I had a uh, cod fish cake with a citrus chive verblanc sauce, a slow roasted lamb shank with a celery puree, and I drizzled that with the lamb shank reduction, and then I had a deconstructed cheesecake, and it really was a crowd pleaser. Everybody was so excited that the legacy was continuing, and it just made me more excited to create more new dishes and to showcase myself all to the world. That was sous chef Zoe Chase, the newest addition to the Chase Family Kitchen. Coming up next, our conversation with the Chase Family continues as we meet granddaughter Eve Marie Heidel, the magical mixologist of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness, always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt. Nothing artificial. Crystal hot sauce. How New Orleans does flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood straight from Louisiana's waterways. Rouse's Markets. Tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand. Beans done right. Now celebrating 100 years of New Orleans tradition. 
celebrate with Camellia by sharing your family's favorite bean stories. Email me at poppy at poppytooker.com to share in the celebration. If you're just joining us on this week's show, we're joined by the newest generation of Dookie Chase, who are building on the legacy of icons, Leah and Dookie Chase. Since Leah's death in 2019, the crew she always referred to as the Grands have stepped up to nurture and grow their family's food legacy. Eve Marie Heidel didn't originally aspire to be in the restaurant business. Like her grandmother would say, we educate our children right out of the restaurant. Eve Marie went to college, got a degree, and moved right into the corporate world. But after her grandmother's death, she opted to join in the efforts of the next generation at Dookie Chase while maintaining her corporate career. Eve's restaurant talent? Mixology. But we began our conversation with her earliest memories of grandmother's restaurant. It's funny, I laugh sometimes because I feel like I went all, of, all the places I've gone and I've just ended up right back here with this little pad and pencil um, <laughs> in, you know, in, at the same spot, you know, just running around here as a little kid as business is bustling and the wait staff is moving around. I'm just this little runt running around and I would go find a pencil and a pad to act like I'm working. I would sit at the end of the bar and mess with Miss Lydia um, or Miss Joyce who was still there running the bar. So it was just watching my grandfather at the time uh, was, was running, managing the, the bar. So I would watch him make drinks and um, it's just being around the business. And then as soon as I could, we were my grandmother would put you to work. So you were washing dishes and you were um, bussing tables. And then when you were able, you were waiting on tables. And so that's just the, the tenure of, of being in the family. <laughs> Did you ever get to stir the pots? Were you ever in the no, kitchen with them? No, she would send me out. Go go speak to my guests. Go take care of my, my, my people. Um, she didn't trust a lot of us back there, but she would go come taste. And I'm like, grandmother, I have come on, I got to fit my clothes. So I would joke, you know, I gain weight just from my family owning a restaurant because I have to taste everything, right? Goodness knows you certainly didn't grow up thinking that you'd find a place here. No, not at all. My degree is in accounting. Um, and so I was in accounting and finance. And my professional life, I've spent about 16 years currently in broadcast technology. So I work for uh, Warner Brothers Discovery as a business operations analyst. So I'm in the background of portfolio management and forecasting and budgets for big broadcasts like CNN sets and designs and servers and whatever it is to put TV on air, that's what I, my group touches. It's funny, I went to Atlanta to work my corporate job, but I got bored as a financial analyst at Turner Studios about 15 years ago and I said, hey, I wanna go, I miss hospitality, let me, I always like the bar. Let me go see what, what's, what's happening. So when I was there, that's why I went to bartending school. I just signed up for an evening class for a month, and I would go after work, and I would call home, and I called my grandfather, Grand D. Uh, Grand D, okay, you might have known what you were doing. You might be smart, because we have this banter with my grandfather. He would go, I'm, he's smarter than everybody. He was very highly intelligent. Most musicians are, right? But he's very smart. 
Um, but that was a banter we had with him. Oh, granddaughter, you're not smart. You're not smarter than me. And so when I realized growing up watching him make these cocktails and me go to bartending school, I was like, he really didn't know what he was doing because I had no idea why he was mixing or why he was stirring certain drinks or why you build it that way until, you know, I'm sitting in class. I'm like, oh, he did know what he was doing. So I had to call and tell him that he knew what he was doing. And then eventually we did work on the cocktail menu together, um, you different did. projects. The two of you all mm -hmm. did get to work on that together. I remember clear as day sitting at my desk and my boss is on the other side of the wall. He's listening to this conversation with my grandfather and I'm talking about like bitters and bourbon. And my, my boss comes like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? I was like, I'm talking to my grandfather about me. I'm menu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, you know, I just, it keeps me busy and, and kept me on my toes and, um, you know, kept me in the industry while being in corporate America, a corporate life, as you would say. So how did it happen that you came to work in this capacity with the family? What happened? Um, I was ready for a change. You know, I was ready to come home and I was talking to my grandmother about it for a long time. And she knew my interest with bars. We would have conversations about the women that ran bars, you know, here around New Orleans, a lot of the neighborhood bars. There were women that ran those bars and the service that they would provide. But you know, talking to her about that, and it was something that I really wanted to do. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, and after my grandmother passed, I was driving home. After I was driving to Atlanta, and I was like, I got to get back to work. Dogs in the back of the car, and I think I got to Mobile, and I was like, I'm going the wrong way. This is not where I want to go. I don't want to live here anymore. I want to be home. I want to give a gift to my family. You know, I know there's huge shoes that we're all trying to fill. So. That was the moment when I was like, I gotta, I have to go home. So from that point, I kept, um, I was just, you know, talking to my family and trying to figure out how it was gonna transition. I would fly in town and I met with Aunt Stella, and of course, talking daily to my sister. And you know, she said, don't make a hasty decision, you know, just, it's a lot of work. I'm here every day. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And so it's, it is a sacrifice, but um, it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to come back to give a skill or talent to the family that's given me so much. That was Eve Marie Heidel, magical mixologist at Dookie Chase Restaurant. Next, we speak with executive chef Dookie Chase IV. Like his cousin, Eve Marie, Dook IV pursued a bachelor's degree followed by a master's in business administration and was a rising star on Entergy's corporate ladder before the lure of the kitchen called him. Leah was pleased as punch to have Dook graduate from the Cordon Bleu in Paris before joining her in the family business. We began by reminiscing about his grandmother, my beloved friend, Leah Chase. Oh, Dook. How we all do miss grandmother, don't we? Oh, certainly, certainly. She's still here with us, watching us, though. Oh, I know she is. I can feel that. What are your earliest memories, Duck, of the restaurant? Oh, man, so many. Uh, just growing up and running around this place like it was my own playground, really. We would run up and down uh, the kitchen to the front takeout in the bar by my grandfather, 
you know, Mama, my grandfather's mother was still living at the time in her office. And that was the best because in her office, she would count uh, the money, right? But the coins, and she would, we believe, did it on purpose. She would drop a quarter and a dime and a nickel. And when she was finished, she would say, all right, y'all could go in and whatever you find, you keep as yours. Uh. So we always had fun going in there and scrounging for a quarter, a nickel, a dime here and there. Well, you were on that fast track corporate ladder climbing successfully. And then you kind of changed your mind. Tell me about how things changed. Yeah, so I, I did. I was, I was still at Intergy and um, Katrina hits, right? And, and that wipes out this whole city. And we were in Baton Rouge, and I still was commuting back and forth to Hammond because we, Intergy, relocated some of us in Hammond to continue to work. And uh, what you saw in my grandparents was the passion to get back to work, right? Katrina hits, we in Baton Rouge, and they're like, we got to get going tomorrow. Let's get it back open. And you're talking about someone who's 78, 79 at the time, my grandfather's in his mid-70s, and their passion and, and willingness to get back, but they needed help. And that really changed my trajectory of what I really wanted to do as a career. I said, you know what, let's focus on getting this restaurant back together. So I came back and we started to do that. And then just for me and my goals is I like to learn everything about the restaurant business. Although I grew up cooking with my grandmother, I wanted that formal training. She wanted me to have that formal training. Uh, so I, I went off to culinary school at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, France. And then I came back and never left. Oh, she was so proud of you. <laughs> she was so proud of you when you came back. I think, in fact, there were all sorts of fancy, exotic things that one might never have seen on the menu here at Dookie Chase that she just went right along with because you wanted to do it. What, where are some examples of where perhaps your cooking began to interject itself? And what did she have to say about that? Yeah, yeah you know, my grandmother gave us, you know, a, a playground to experiment any creative thoughts that we had on the plate. And, and sort of that coming from Paris. And, and our cuisines are, are similar, uh, just a tad bit different, but they got a lot of similarities, especially in the foundation of it. Uh, so, of course, you're in culinary school and me thinking big head, you know, duck a la range and all this other <laughs> stuff. Uh, I come back and trying to do some things here. And she, you know, she let me do it and, and we played it up and people enjoyed it. But I will say, you know, the great things that we're able to hear to do at Dookie Chase and I think what people appreciate most. And I'm always excited to hear when they say that this gumbo tastes the same as when I was a child. This dish tastes the same as when I was a child. So that means that generational shift of those recipes in different hands in the pot, somehow we would manage to keep that consistent. So when people think of this restaurant, certainly we'll have Friday specials where we can be creative and, and put something new out there. But the classics are the classic, and they consistently the classics from generation on down, which is fascinating. It's learning you know, what does my guests, my community want to serve, right? What are they coming here? Certainly I want to introduce you to a new cuisine, but I know I want to keep you coming for that great flavor that you love here at Dookie. So it's that marriage, that balance of, it's a little something new, but here's that classic that I know you love. 
You mentioned that you grew up cooking with your grandmother. What are some cooking memories you have of being alongside her here in the kitchen before the Cordon Bleu? Oh, man, so many. So how I got my start in the kitchen as a young kid was I started dishwashing, right? And she has a three-compartment sink right in her own kitchen. And, oh, those yeah. pots better oh, shine, my, they huh? better shine. That was my first <laughs> lesson learned. I, I, I thought I cleaned the pot as well as I could. Apparently, I didn't because I didn't get all the black spots off the bottom, bottom of the pot that touches the flame. So you had to get the uh, Brillo pad and all this stuff and scrub it, and they better shine to a T. Uh, and those pots still shining, and they're much older than me. Uh, and they will never not shine because I'm sure she'll come and tell me something in my sleep. But that, that's how it started, right? I was the almost the errand guy. Go get me another onion duck. Go get me a bell pepper. Get me this. Get me that. And then I would sit at the stove and just watch her. You're right. She's making stewed chicken, and I'm watching, and I'm tasting the gravy. And then I go back home, and I try to recreate the same stewed chicken for my mama, and I probably failed 30 times over. But what I would do is take that gravy and that chicken and bring it to the restaurant the next day. And I said, Grandmother, I'm off. What is it? And her palate was amazing. She would say, oh, you missed this. You missed that. Add a little bit more of this. And I would do it again and do it again. And then finally, you just catch on. You're like, I got it. Next dish. Let's do gumbo. Do it again. What am I missing? How am I doing it? Did I not? Did I overcook the root? Not cook it long enough? What is this that? And she was able to guide you at no matter what stage you were in to correct it and say, No, you should have did this, this, that, and the other. And so that's how I really learned was watching her at the stove, tasting, going home, trying to recreate it, bringing it back for her to pick it apart where I failed, and she would correct it. And now it's just it's like clockwork. Now it's. Do you ever feel like you hear your grandmother whispering something in your ear? Oh, every day. Every day. Uh, every day she's in this restaurant speaking to us. Uh, even if we missed up, you'll hear a spoon drop off the wall, and you're like, mm, I know who that is. <laughs> or you'll hear you know, the pot clang on this side just out the blue, and you say, all right, all right, grandmother, what, what's going on? What, what am I missing? What I need to do? Same with my grandfather. You know, you definitely uh hear the energy and and i ask for it when i come in this restaurant i always speak to them you know especially on fridays and saturdays when we are really really busy say grandmother i'm gonna need your help today grandfather i need your help let's get through it i need the, i need the extra man on this team to push through so i always uh talk to them and, and they always got my back That was Edgar Dookie, Dook Chase IV, executive chef of Dookie Chase Restaurant. Don't miss the Chase family's first cooking show when it premieres in the spring of 2023. Produced locally on WYES-TV, the Dookie Chase Kitchen, Leah's Legacy, can be seen on PBS affiliates across the country. And the Chase Family Foundation is hosting a special centennial birthday celebration for Leah. On her actual birthday, January 6th, 2023, they'll be throwing the Queen's Buzan, a game, wild and tame gala dinner at Dookie Chase Restaurant. For more information, visit DookieChaseRestaurants.com.
Coming up next, we hear from the Brennans, who are innovating in the restaurant biz using lessons from the past. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry. Their new stuffing mix brings the flavor to your holiday table. Available in herbal or cornbread. And their brown gravy and marinade have your turkey covered. Louisiana Fish Fry. Because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission. Located 40 minutes north of New Orleans French Quarter along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. The delicious Tammany taste culinary scene and abundance of soft adventure attractions are among the many reasons to love the North Shore's charming communities. Fall on Louisiana's North Shore brings outdoor festivals and lots of holiday events. Find details on upcoming events, itinerary suggestions, and more at louisiananorthshore.com. In a city known for its culinary excellence, no family looms as large in the story of New Orleans dining as the Brennans. The family restaurant dynasty got its start just over 75 years ago when Owen Edward Brennan, son of Nellie and Owen Patrick Brennan, opened his first restaurant, the Vieux Carré in the French Quarter. Owen's father greeted guests, while his 21-year-old sister, Ella, managed the business. When they were getting ready to relocate to Royal Street in 1955, the younger Owen died suddenly of a heart attack. Rising to meet the moment, Ella, along with her brothers, John and Dick, and her sisters, Dottie and Adelaide, made Brennan's Restaurant into a culinary landmark. After a rift led Owen's widow, Maud, and her three sons to oust Ella from the restaurant in 1974, Ella and her siblings focused their energies on Commander's Palace in the Garden District. With Ella at the helm, they made Commander's into one of the most celebrated restaurants in the country and the flagship of the family's expanding restaurant empire. The following generation of the Brennan clan, including Ella's daughter, T, Ella's nieces, Lolly and Lauren, and nephews, Ralph and Dickie Jr., grew up to run Commander's, Brennan's, and a constellation of restaurants in New Orleans and beyond. They're now watching closely as the newest generation works to continue the family legacy. So we're technically the fourth generation. If you want to go back from... Uh, our senior. Ella and Owen and like our grandparents' parents, then they, so they're yes. the second. Mm-hmm. Lauren and all of them are the third, and then we're the fourth. Glad we just straightened that out for me. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Louisiana Eats brought together five members of the fourth generation to discuss what it's like to be born into culinary royalty, and how they hope to contribute to the Brennan family legacy. Joining us at Ralph's on the Park were Ralph's children, Catherine Brennan McLeod and Patrick Brennan. 
Dickie's daughter, Sarah Brennan, and Lauren's son, Jordy Brower. Also, there was Pepper Balmer, the grandson of Ella's sister, Dottie. Catherine and Patrick worked for their dad's company, the Ralph Brennan Restaurant Group, while Sarah and Jordy worked for Dickie Brennan and Company. Pepper is the president of Balmer Foods, makers of Crystal Hot Sauce. When Ralph's daughter Catherine was five years old, she was eager to go to work with her dad at Mr. B's Bistro in the quarter. I did. I loved going down. My dad um, ran Mr. B's at the time, and I just loved going to work with him. And he would take me on Saturday mornings as a um, reprieve to my mother to leave her with only two children at home instead of three. (laughs) But I would go down there, and I ate all the maraschino cherries that I wanted. (laughs) And I folded napkins. For some reason, I thought that was a really fun job. And I hung out with the bartenders. I spent most of my time at the bar. Um, (laughs) As a small child. As a small child. While she gravitated to the front of the house, her younger brother Patrick found his home in the kitchen. His passion for baking was evident at an early age. His first email address was pastrypat yeah. Yeah. at AOL.com. I forgot a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> when I was eight or nine, I convinced the pastry chef at Redfish Grill to let me start working in the kitchen. And I convinced her and the general manager at the time, without even consulting my father, uh, to let me go in and work. And that started me down that path. I had all the fun jobs. I, used to, I, I specifically remember cracking an entire case of eggs by myself to make bread pudding which uh, my father loved because I would come home just covered. And I had one chef jacket because I had to have a tiny little eight-year-old chef jacket to wash and bleach every night. You know, I only worked that first summer three weeks or so, making $2 an hour. Don't tell the Department of Labor. Um, In high school, Patrick worked as a prep cook at Ralph's on the Park, eventually moving up the line before enrolling at the Culinary Institute of America at Greystone. College was a requirement for any of Ralph's children who hoped to join the family business. We had to get a college degree, and then we had to work five years somewhere else was the rule. It was supposed to be five years. Once we took over Brennan's, mine got cut a little short. So I wanted to, I mean, obviously wanted to get back for that. Mine also got cut short because I was living in New York and I was cold. And I um, decided I didn't want to do a fourth winter, so I did three years up there. And so I called him and I told him, I'm moving home and I'll find another job. But if you have one available, I'd rather work for you. And he found one. (laughs) Catherine did a bit of everything. Sales, management, HR, wherever she was needed. As for Patrick, Ralph's new commissary has rekindled his son's love for baking. Aside from producing breads and pastries for the restaurants, the 2020 pandemic inspired a new king cake business. During Carnival, Catherine splits her time between Ralph's on the Park, where she serves as general manager, and king cake sales at the commissary. The way Dickie's daughter Sarah sees it, she and his first restaurant, the Palace Cafe, are almost twins. Both were born in 1991. We were three months apart from each other. That was the, the big joke was, where's Dickie going to be? In the waiting room with me or uh, seating tables or in the kitchen at Palace? 
Though her parents tried to talk her out of the restaurant business, it was always Sarah's dream to contribute to the family legacy. After completing a hospitality management degree in Charleston, Sarah studied baking at Greystone's CIA and worked at San Francisco's esteemed Tartine Bakery before coming back home in 2019. Dickie's nephew, Jordy Brower, treasures memories of his late grandfather, Dick Brennan. So my grandparents, Lynn and Dick, they, uh, they happened to watch us pretty much every Saturday night um, to give my parents a reprieve. And every Sunday morning, my grandfather and I would go to Commander's before they opened. He lived right around the corner, so we'd wake up in the, every Sunday morning and walk over to Commander's and we'd get a handful of spoons and then a dirty cup for all the dirty spoons and we'd try all the sauces and soups. And then you had to go home. Yeah, my grandmother would come get me, or he'd walk me home, and then he'd go back to work. Jordy wasn't allowed to eat at Commander's until his eighth birthday. It was a family rite of passage for each grandchild to have a special lunch there with Dick Brennan to mark that milestone. So Sarah and I both got to do this along with our brothers and sisters, but so on our eighth birthday, my grandmother would take us, we'd get a blue blazer, and then my grandfather would take us to Commander's and uh, we'd have our first lunch up there. We'd sat up in the garden room and so, you know, I tried turtle soup and I'm like, it's very spicy. And he's like, no, it's well seasoned, you know, completely just <laughs> stop me. He's like, no, your taste buds are wrong. <laughs> Eight year old. <laughs> Jordy pursued a culinary degree from Johnson and Wales in Denver before finding work as a line cook and butcher on the East Coast but his eyes really light up when he talks about designing restaurant kitchens, something he discovered an affinity for during the build-out of Acorn in the Louisiana Children's Museum. Jordy also helped plan Dickie Brennan and Company's commissary kitchen in the Lower Garden District. Per tradition, Sarah and Jordy were not allowed to dine at Commander's Palace until their eighth birthdays. Though we didn't realize it at the time, their cousin Pepper was already tasting the best of Commander's menu every time he went to stay with his grandma Dottie and Grand Aunt Ella, who lived in the house next door. Kind of like everybody here. Our grandparents would reprieve our parents and give them a break, so I would go over to Dottie and Ella's house and hang out. They always had tremendous food. I, I thought Ella was, and Dottie were such great cooks. Didn't realize until I got older that they were just ordering from next door. Uh, but as I got older and realized what was next door, I fell in love, just like Patrick, with the dessert area. And every time I went to Dottie and Ella's house, I would walk out the back door and just disappear and they would have to call the dessert room and tell them to send Pepper back and to leave the twills that he had eaten <laughs> in the dessert room. Just like his cousin's parents, Pepper's dad, Al, had rules about joining the family business. If Pepper wanted to join the team at Balmer Foods, he needed to spend two years working somewhere else. And uh, it's easier said than done. I think we all kind of agree. I mean, I'm a walking billboard. My name is Pepper. Obviously, I'm going back to... <laughs> Uh, going back to work at, at Crystal Hot Sauce. So I was kind of looking around, and then T and Lally finally said, you know what, just come and work with us. We all grew up working in the restaurants, like at the front of the house, but kind of getting the education of how the machine works 
all the nuts and bolts and the uh, economics of everything, kind of focusing on that. I still helped out in the, in the kitchen and the dining room every now and then, but I was mainly focused on how everything ran on the backside. All in their 30s, the group of siblings and cousins are now starting their own families while building on the guidance of the second and third generations before them. Well, you know, I guess you all are fine honing your own parental advice, but you've got tons of it to draw from. Tell me a little bit about things that you have learned from your Brennan's forebears. Catherine, we can start with you because life is like a set of stairs, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's what my dad always tells me when I'm going through a hard time. He's like, he says, life is like a set of stairs and you get to coast when you're on a stair, but then you hit the, the part where you have to get to the next stair and that's tough. You just have to climb up to the next stair and then you'll get to coast for a little while. Patrick, do you have another one that came from Ralph? My entire life, it's been this is a people business. Guests, staff, everybody. It's, it's all about finding good people and taking care of good people and making people happy. So it's something I think all of our elders have instilled in us is whether it's the staff and whether it's the guests, it's about taking care of people and 100%. making them happy. Yeah, 100%. And then to compound on that, I think, as you've noticed, like family is a very big, huge value from all of our grandparents yes. and parents. Uh, we're all under the Brennan name, but we all have, we're under our own umbrellas, but yet we're all like siblings. All one family. Yeah. yeah. And, and Pepper, what's some advice that has stayed with you? One of the things that T's always kind of instilled in me is there's uh, four different ways to go through a wall. So you can go over it, under it, around it, or through it. And I usually try to focus on one thing, which he likes to tell me to think of other scenarios and other options. That's kind of the one thing I've been trying to instill into my new parenting life I guess yeah. <laughs> it's not just one way to do things it's there's you can do different things a different way and, uh, and expect different results and uh Sarah what what has your dad been telling you honestly the first thing that comes to mind is dig down deep but that's usually in like menu tastings and things like that <laughs> when you're like miserably full and you just got to keep going but it Push does through. it carries <laughs> it definitely carries over yeah Dickie's saying dig deep like you know it's like you've been you've gone to four meals already that day and then like you know you're going to your fifth meal and he's like just dig deep like you know you you can do it find it somewhere within would you like to tell me about the future and about how you're going to handle it because you're a Brennan Unfortunately or fortunately, we're all ambassadors for the city wherever we go. So that's something that's been instilled with us since we were born is that, yeah, we do this. But in order for us to prosper, the city has to prosper as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's a piece going back to the advice. Didi used to always say, leave it better than you found it. Correct. And I think that that's something that we all try to live by very much so. I also think we're lucky that we did grow up so close and we have each other to lean on um, and that not necessarily other people in this industry have such a broad network to lean on. You know, I can call Jordy if I need bread or if I, you know what I mean? It's little things like that, but it's, um, it's good to know who to, who to call and know that you've got support. Well, what a blessing it is to be a Brennan. This has just been a remarkable time with you. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah.
That was five members of the close-knit fourth generation of the Brennan family in New Orleans, joining Louisiana Eats at Ralph's on the Park. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Camellia Brand Beans, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, the St. Tammany Parish Tourist Commission, and from D'Agostino Pasta, handcrafted in Louisiana just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Support for Louisiana Eats also comes from Gulf Coast Blenders, dry ingredient blends with New Orleans roots. For more than 30 years, Gulf Coast Blenders has produced custom spice and dry blends for restaurant concepts across the country. To learn more, visit gulfcoastblenders.com. Original theme music composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producer and special projects manager Reggie Morris, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting.